This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate, Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Kiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Konohamaru, Buyag, Starry, Red Dead Coquette, Logan, Punching Potato, and Jen Solo. Thank you again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another catastic episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Yeah. Hi. And just so y'all know, we have heard you. We have heard the request. <laughs> and tonight, I want to say there's going to be no introing, no screwing around. We're going to dive right into the topic. And that is going to be an entire episode talking about Adam's cat. Adam, how's your cat? <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell I, you guys, want. ladies They've and gentlemen, vocal. and you know what? They are wise people indeed for Tig <laughs> is a cat and Tig is he a is. busy cat. Mm. He is curious. He desires to go outside where once he had escaped, but now he is imprisoned within the <laughs> confines of our home. And he can uh, only look out the window longingly to the nature that evades him. Just forlornly, a mere one might say. thin uh, pane of glass between him and extremely hot Arizona weather, hawks, crows, other cats, and other... Yeah, you're staying inside, bro. Ungrateful little <laughs> bastard. <laughs> every time I go to work now, every time I go up to my door... Uh, he runs up. He's going to sneak out there as I, they, as they I try to, as I try to leave in the morning. So I got to get somebody to come like take him. So I picked him oh, up. Man. I took him over to my daughter's room. I dropped him off. He jumped right off the bed, ran right up back to the front. <laughs> I had to like wake her up. I had to be like, Hey, sweetie, you gotta, <laughs> I need you to hold this cat. So they, they do that. They are little ninjas and what's weird with with buttons our cat he'll get out sometimes like he's he's fast for how freaking huge he is but what's funny is that he doesn't like run off anymore like when he was little he got out a few times and we really had to like hunt around for him but now he'll like just go down onto the driveway and find like a nice, really warm, bright, sunny patch and just stretch out and just sit there. Like I could walk right up to him and go, hey, buddy, how you doing? And he doesn't try to go anywhere. He's just like, uh, this is it's just nice out, dad. You know, maybe I'll go over here and sniff the grass for a little bit. And, you know, that's all I really want. Like when they're when they're little, dude, they're pedal to the metal, man. Oh yeah, and he goes through these uh bouts where it's just like high energy, everything is a target to be hunted. And oh, totally. Then he's like, I'm done now. I'm a I'm a sit. Yep. <laughs> has 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 he started finding boxes? Uh it, 
Yeah, he finds uh, all manner of container and he, <laughs> uh, he he must explore them, create his domain, quickly get bored and leave. If, if he, he fits, fits, he sits. sits. He does. That's indeed. right. He absolutely does that. Um, he is also great at letting me know that my walls are dirty because he jumps up and hits all the stains on the walls um, <laughs> and attacks them that like never- they're bugs. That never gets old. Never gets old. Uh, you know, what I really like most, though, is that I can tell that it adds a lot of sort of joy to my wife's day. And because mm. uh, I'm not around uh, most of the day. Um, I'm right. working, of course. And, um, yeah, you know, I know it makes her a little bit happier. And she always has a smile when she sees a cat. And I'm I'm very grateful that we did that. And the, the kids uh, are crazy about the cat, too. And that's. Really, oh, he, sure. he's extremely patient. He puts up with a lot of BS, um, especially I, for I've my youngest. Been, I've been amazed by um, our our cat has luckily been that way too. Where like I like maybe this is I can't imagine that this is a regular thing for most cats, but like I mean, it sounds like yours and mine. Like they'll. Just sit there and to a very large extent, just kind of take whatever. And kids can be freaking ridiculous. I remember when uh, when my six-year-old, when he was little, he was like one or so. He was playing on the floor at our previous house and we had hardwood floors. And he had reached over and grabbed buttons like by the tail and like dragged him several feet across the floor. Not not several because he was a one freaking one year old, so he didn't have that kind of reach. But he like dragged him around a bit, and the cat just kind of slid along the floor and was like, "Oh, whatever." <laughs> like I I, I I won't claw you because I know what's up. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. That amazed me. I was like, "How is this cat not just going? I'm gonna beat the crap out of you, kid, and show you who." stands where <laughs> there cats are extremely expressive in a way that's that's very different from dogs and in other animals and and uh i've never owned one before so this one is uh very very fascinating to me and then yes. you know we had the game come out not long ago stray i did end up picking that up Really? And, and I played around with it a bit and it was pretty good. My my uh, son quickly took it over because he realized there was uh, a robot in it. And uh, oh, sure. He was like, this is my game now, basically. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I really liked it, though. And there is what, what's uh, really fascinating about it is that it has all the this like um, uh, translation of uh, cat mannerism into ca- gameplay. Yeah, um, and I wish that it would take that just a little further, uh, but it it does a really good job. And I think with the response that it's gotten, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, OK, we'll hear something similar. Um, oh, totally. Or a sequel. Some point. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. It's like easy money. Um, I mean, the I I haven't played it, but what I have read and heard about it um has been very cool like basically you are the game just naturally incentivizes you to do things that a cat would do 
mm-hmm. that's how you find your way through the game. Like you, you'll find your, uh, your mission or quest paths by like, you know, you just climb up on a shelf and start knocking crap onto the floor. And sooner or later, one of those things will like roll away and you got to follow it. And all of a sudden, boom, you're on your quest or whatever. Yeah. Um, very, very clever design stuff. Like I, I love reading about it. Well, it's like, where do we go from here? Right? Like I, I saw a meme where it was like, you know, back in the days of like N64 going, wow, I wonder what the, how real and, and incredibly deep games are going to be in the future. And then it has a picture of like the next panel is hooray. I can be a cat. Right. Um, Woo! you know, and, but there's a lot to it because it's kind of like, after all the sort of hyper realism we've gotten and all the wild, you know, world building stuff, it's kind of like, well, where do we go from here? And if you're a triple A studio, like they just go, okay, what's the trend? Okay. We're going to make yep. one of those. Right. Yep. And we're going to keep just pumping out the same, you know, three games that exist. Right. And so, so long as people pay. Well, yeah. I mean, and why not? You know, people love the Assassin's Creed series i i don't get it but you know that's good i i really did like uh shadows of war which is essentially the same game um sure. you know and i there was crossover with the far cry games uh even spider-man was basically this exact same type of game ghost of tsushima mm-hmm. and like yeah these there some of them had some really beautiful things but at their core, they were still kind of the same game. And mm. so, you know, we're looking for something fresh and we, we don't just want the next big graphic upgrade. Right. I mean, we like that. That's fine. Sure. But that's not what a game really is. Right. A game is, right. is really it, what we've really been lacking is a sense of novelty. Uh, we've talked mm. about novelty in the past, but what I really impressed with when it comes to stray is again that skill expression in being a cat something mm-hmm. that is so simple and yet um elegantly implemented very impressive well, and, and it's to me it's uh you know it's hard to imagine something like stray existing as well in like the n64 days or even like the you know the xbox and ps3 days yeah, like it. It really seems like, as, for as you know, maybe silly ish as the concept might seem on its face. You know, it it seems like they really leveraged the available technology to really realize that vision and go, okay, you know, what are all the details about cat behavior that can actually get kind of nuanced and like. There could be like some weird little things there. And, you know, not to mention the complexities of animating a cat. Well, because cats move crazy. Well, and, yeah, you and, know, and we many of us have them and we see them around. And so like the viewer is not going to be taken in. I was I've been like for a long time, just horrified with how bad a lot of horse animation has been in various games like horses like it's hard to find a game where like horse movements are believable like you know the many many moons i played world of warcraft like not once did they ever make a horse move like one (laughs) oh yeah but then you go look at like 
Red Dead Redemption 2, and it's like, oh my God. Yeah, Red Dead Redemption, Ghost of Tsushima. Um, even to a limited extent, like Oblivion was actually not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, except for like, if you're on PC, then the camera pop could get a little disorienting. Um, I mean, on Elden Ring, they they climb up vertical mountain faces and double jump the way that I know jump, horse. Yeah. Dude, yeah, fair, I mean, horses do I'm that. I'm pretty sure that's not a, ho- a horse, though, right? <laughs> it is to me. He's a spectral steed. That's By the another way, word for horse. <laughs> the hey, uh, donkey's a steed. I'm know. a steed. I'm a steed. Um, I, you know, I got a new car, and uh, we were thinking of names to to call it because before Ooh. I had the Prius, right? And so it was always it's the Prius. The you know, I mean, good. Are you going to take the Prius? No, I'm going to take the van. Right, whatever. Yeah, and uh, now I I, I switched to a, a Toyota a CHR. Mm. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, right? It, you're gonna take the yeah. chair. I was thinking about calling it the chair, right? It's kind of close. Take the, like, yeah. But then it sounds like you're being executed. Uh, take the chair. You're gonna take uh. the chair. So anyway, we were thinking of names, and I finally said, "Oh, I know. We're gonna name it Torrent." Okay, uh, so I'm going to refer to it as uh, torrent from from here on out. Okay, uh, there you go. And I'm going to say works. it until it finally sticks. <laughs> it's <gonna laughs> I, take a I, minute. Will, I will make it so I will make this work. So uh, apart apart from kitty stuff, which super <laughs> fun. Um, what how else have you have you been anything anything else interesting going on no nothing interesting i you know everything's you know pretty much same old same old but there is kind of a segue here where we're talking about skill expression into what mm. i wanted to talk about tonight so i just want to get right in um and, and right, that, that's cool that, i'm fine that's you know it's, no, no, no it's, it's cool it's, it, 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 nobody cares andrew all right so um, oh man, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> Jeez, just you know, at least wait till my mic cuts out to be mean to me or something. Jeez. Oh, all right, fine. Take us away, jerk. <laughs> just kidding. I'm sorry, nah, my man. friend. Uh, but you sound like you're in high spirits, and I, th- I thought I would, I would use your your. Uh, positive energy. I, I will, I will lend my positive energy real quick. I will just rattle off the stuff I've been doing and you can time me. Give me like 30 seconds. I've been playing Spider-Man remastered on the PC and it's freaking awesome. I didn't have a PlayStation. So getting this was really great. Saw the better call Saul series finale today. Holy cow. It's brilliant and had a cool, a uh, live stream with Nord today where I actually got on video and talked about immersive gameplay and talked about uh, um, talked about this show a little bit. And Spike will be pleased to know that the first point I brought up was the idea of player responsibility when it comes to immersion at the table. Done. All right. Take it away. <laughs> Oh man, there were so many good things in there. I'm really glad to hear that uh, Saul stuck the landing. Oh, um, brilliant. I, I felt that uh, that not everybody loved the ending to Breaking Bad, but I thought it was great. Um, and so I'm I'm glad Me to hear too. that because so many of these wonderful shows just really struggle with that. 
I guess um, to that end, I uh, I was deeply inspired by season three of the Orville. Um, I saw your Facebook post. Yeah, I was just like, stop everything that you're doing. Um, the first season of the Orville is uh, still it's trying to figure out what it is like many TV series do. I mean, even the first season of The Office and uh, Parks and Rec struggled. Right. Mm-hmm. And then once they kind of found what they were about, they found their voice. You know, it it the seasons for the most part got better. Right. Right. So um, with the Orville in the first season, it's, you know, first of all, it's like a Seth MacFarlane thing. Right. And it's it's clearly a love letter to Star Trek, but it's also a Seth MacFarlane thing. So there's some there's some humor. Right. And uh, right. so it's not sure if it wants to be Family Guy or if it wants to be TNG and it's somewhere kind of in between, but mostly leaning towards TNG. Yeah. And then the second season, it's like barely any McFarlane nonsense. And it's mostly um, TNG stuff. Hmm. And then in the, the third season is like, what I love about it is how sincere it is. Hmm. Um, it, it's so, it's so nice to like being familiar with a lot of his work to know that there is the side of him and that um, he's really bringing art to uh, to this medium. He, it's very clear that he that he loved Star Trek mm. and he's telling brilliant stories with wonderful characters. I cannot recommend season three of the Orville enough. And it's on Disney Plus now. So yeah. you don't have to sit through Hulu commercials. Now I can finally just kill Hulu. I can just shoot it right in the head. Boom. And cross one more thing off my list of there subscriptions. Unless Nailed my wife it. decides that she wants to keep all the singing and dancing shows. Cause that's the main reason we have it. Um, well, you know, well, you know, ex- exactly. It's not like I don't spend money on dumb things. Um, okay. <laughs> so, all right. uh, and then you were talking about with your um, with your stream today, you were talking about immersive gameplays. And this is a little bit related to that. Ooh, perfect. Um, we are looking at possibly some six edition previews. We're getting some ideas of what sort of the design philosophies might be. We're seeing this in Strixhaven. We're seeing this with Monsters of the Multiverse. We're seeing it now in the spell jammer books and i was kind of hoping to review like do a cold review of of spell jammer this week but my stores aren't going to get them till tomorrow mm. um, so we'll do a do a better review next time sure but what this is kind of a, a wish list and things okay. it, things that i would like to see and and this is not it's not a sixth edition wish list it's about skill expression Okay, so Mm. when we were talking about the cat, we were talking about Stray and how they get the gameplay to reflect being a cat, right? Yeah, that's Um, the the kind of marriage between theme and mechanic. Theme and mechanic, yes, yes, and they they really need to go uh, together, and Mm. they need to be really close in that way, and um. I've I've had a a, a couple of sessions of D&D where players get very frustrated and Mm. they typically get the most frustrated during combat. And I think there are some reasons for that that I would like to kind of address. 
Okay. Sure. We so can look skill at skill expression. And and so largely we're we're talking about monsters here. Okay. Okay. So but we're also gonna talk about the barbarian. <laughs> okay. And and maybe a few other things. Um, so to begin, um, I am going to open up to uh what should be one of my favorite monsters. I I often like to employ these things. Uh, but I don't think it's actually a great example. Mm. Um, and I don't want to sit here and disparage 5e. That's not what this is about. This is about looking forward. Okay. Because I deeply respect the design of 5e. I think it's, it's wonderful, but nothing's perfect. Okay. Um, so I'm going to look here at the ogre. Mm. ogre. <laughs> yes. He sounds like that. Yeah. Probably. Um, so the ogre, large giant, chaotic evil, armor class 11, hit points 59, speed 40 feet. That part's the most interesting part about him. The fact that he can move 40 feet. That's mm. pretty great. Uh, we have the ability scores. There's some dark vision. Uh, it's not very good dark vision, only 60 feet, um, which is fine. Ogres are not necessarily supposed to be like super terrifying but i like ogres i would like to them to be a little bit more scary oh man um, well you throw them at a at some level ones yeah an ogre is, you know. is definitely a challenge to some level ones but it's not just about the challenge sure it's about what is an ogre and mm. that's where a lot of monsters in this book could do better okay what does basically every monster in this book have as an ability, as an action? Well, just attack, hit something. Not only attack, but they have multi-attack, right? Mm. Um, actually, the ogre doesn't have multi-attack. He only has attack. His mm. actions are great club and javelin. So he can do a melee attack or he can throw a, a javelin. Mm -hmm. And that is the end of ogre things. There's no uh, grapple ability. Um, the illustration shows him with claws and teeth. Neither one is referenced in the moves. Oh, sure. Um, you know, can he hurl boulders? Like there's stuff in what? here that the GM has to fill in. So you kind of see where yeah. I'm getting with this, right? Yeah. What, what things can he do that makes the, well, that from the GM's perspective, that makes us feel ogre-y. I right. want to feel like an ogre, right? Right. And so he needs an identity in his abilities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of video games are very good about this, although they do tend to get generic. Okay. So the, at, at the most basic in a video game, a bad guy runs through a pattern of abilities. Right. And usually there's some kind of windup where you can react. And you can do the right move as a counter. This is kind of hard to do in a turn-based game because if I say, okay, the ogre picks up his club and he's about to slam it down and here's the space where he's going to slam it, well, on your turn, you're just going to walk out of it, right? Yeah, it, it, that, that kind of thing doesn't translate very well. Right. The but I think stay out of the fire zone sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Like we would see in World of Warcraft. <laughs> World of Warcraft for a while just boiled down to don't stand in the fire. It yep. was very frustrating. 
and like and if you did it was like no matter what your gear was you just like instantly vaporized um very very just mean design frankly <laughs> um so we can we can derive something from that though there's some idea there okay so, and this what this is what gets me to what i think is a big frustration for players is when they're losing um players don't take um getting hurt very well okay uh they definitely don't like to be crowd controlled 100 they would i would say nine times out of ten a player would typically prefer to take damage than to be cc'd oh yeah Um, because you don't want to lose control and this is something i (laughs) like uh i was wrestling with my kids when they were younger right because i i read somewhere it was good for their development i don't know if it's true but um but i was wrestling around with them and i noticed that if i pretended to like slow throw a, a hit or something like that. I would never hurt them, of course, but like, you know, like I do like a slow swing. They would even laugh on getting hit. Right. Yeah. Um, Because it was like, oh, you got me. But if I like grabbed them and held them in position and they couldn't move, they would get up. They would get upset. Right. Yeah. And so I would have to keep that to an absolute minimum. The 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 instant that the the player whether they're your your toddler or you know a 20 something sitting around your game table the instant you you restrict or even eliminate their ability to act yep, yep. that's when that's you're going to get pissed right right cuz you yeah. feel like it's out of your control you 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 can't point to like a a major mistake you've made other than perhaps like you showed up to the dungeon, which is also very frustrating, right? If you're punished for playing the game, then you don't want to play the game, right? So I, I had a situation that was kind of similar to this in a, in a game I, I had just played in uh, where my character kind of like jumped the gun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was it was definitely a metagame decision on my part. And this is by no means disparaging anybody at that table. But like um you know we had a big boss fight and i just i I looked at the clock and there was like an hour left right and so i said basically let's attack let's just we had been deliberating forever we were in analysis paralysis like i said before i'm an instigator and so i wanted to get in there well kicking down the door and running in was a tactical error Mm -hmm. right so what's what's kind of the takeaway there right i so now now i'm not going to instigate at least not as much okay is that is that good do we want that Uh, that's up to the table i guess uh i mean for for me i i know i'm gonna think twice a little bit more often right and to to me that honestly that sounds good because i think that the the tendency to want to instigate does need temperance and well, there's temperance like, and then there's an hour left in the session right like in a medicine sometimes we get the feeling and we could be wrong but we can get the feeling that i think this is what the gm wants so i'm going to play into it right you ever feel that way like hey i think that the gm is like moving me towards something oh sure i yeah there are definitely times where i've where i'll i mean let's let's just you know not beat around the bush here usually 
when you're running something, I'm sitting there like going, okay, I know Adam tends to want to do things this way and I'm getting certain vibes. So I'm going to help try to move things that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's also a question of your, your individual GM, you know, like looking at that situation going, okay, there's an hour left, but at the same time, do I honestly think that my GM is wanting me to pull this trigger? Right. Yeah. Right. And I guess in this case, I made the wrong choice. I probably should have tried to sneak around more. Right. Or something, which is, um, it, which is fine. You know, it's a, it, it's it a learning up, experience and it definitely led to a full capture. Right. We, we lost the battle. Um, so that and was, that happens and that happens. And, but it wasn't just the situation. It, it had some of the pro- same problems that every D and D combat can have, mm. which is a lack of skill expression and a lack of counterplay. Mm. Okay. So, when we talk about counterplay, what that means is what can I do in response? Right. How like am I good enough at the game that I can do a thing uh, in response? Can I make um, calculated risks? Mm-hmm. And and D and D has some of that, but for the most part, in the interest of keeping things moving and keeping things simple, there are f- inherently frustrating mechanics such as the saving throw. Mm-hmm. The saving throw is, I think, a very uh, not great way of doing things. Mm. Um, I know that may be a very unpopular opinion. If you cast a spell and the bad guy saves, that sucks. You lost your turn. Mm-hmm. If you cast a spell, and not only did you lose a turn, you also lost a spell slot, okay? Mm-hmm. If the G- if the monster has legendary resistance, then the best case scenario is that you blew a legendary resistance. That's your price. That's what you got. That's your price. Right. And it doesn't feel good. It's it doesn't feel like, great. Okay. But it's better than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's like I I mean, I guess but, technically it's better than nothing, but feeling wise, it's it like still sucks. right next door to nothing. You also like, and let's say you're the only member of your party who really attacks saving throws, like who tries to uh, use like real crowd control. Cause like if I'm running a a dragon or something, I'm not going to use legendary resistance against spirit guardians. I'll just eat the damage. Right. Right. But I am going to use spirit. I am going to use legendary resistance against like hold, you know, dominate monster, hold monster, you know, one of these things you want, you don't want those to happen. Right. Mm. So, when you're the caster, you're just looking at one of these things and you're going, man, what a mountain I have to climb. Right. And you just hope that someone else in your party, at least one other person is going to try to burn some of those legendary resistance. Right. Um, you as a player, when you make um, a saving throw, you uh, it's either you did it or you, or you didn't. Right. Yeah. And there wasn't there's not really any skill choice to be made. You roll the die and, and hope for the best. You hope that right. you built right. Yeah. Right? And that, that there's luck with you. And so, look, it's fine. It gets us through the game. Clearly, I play a lot of D&D. You know, it's, it's not a deal right. breaker. But can we do a little better? Can we add something to it? So this is where I think things like reactions 
are really great, mm-hmm. uh, but there's just not very many reactions tend to be on the rare side. Mm. And I think that's kind of a problem. Anyway, I've been kind of like rambling on. Do you have any, you know, anything to add, like in terms of like insights of yeah, like I, counterplay in this game or frustrations from this kind of thing? I think that this sounds well, one, I think it it walks this whole the whole topic and even game design in general um, is is always a matter of figuring out which line you want to walk in terms of simulation versus abstraction because yes yes. you can you know if you start getting into you can really get into the weeds with with adding in specific kinds of reactions and how those reactions work and how things interact between one another and all that stuff but yes the more you do that the more bloat you're putting into the system and the Mm -hmm. more it grinds it down really slow On the other hand, that's not to say that there aren't simulationist games out there that are fun. I mean, there are the entire like wargaming hobby was essentially built on like some crunchy gameplay. Extremely right, just intense simulationist. Like the players, their skill expression in that case is I want to feel like I am the best tactician. right? Right. Exactly. And so now, that that rewards it. But that's only a piece of D&D, right? Oh, so, sure. So D&D's prerogative doesn't end up being as as, as deep. So I, I, I totally agree with with what you're saying. Um, I, I've also mentioned recently that I've been trying to study up on fate. Um, and I've found that fate does something that I that I really kind of love to be honest in terms of in terms of conflict where basically when you try to do a thing you can either you can either fail you can tie you can succeed or you can succeed with style mm-hmm. and if you fail the the description says basically when you fail you either don't get what you want or you get what you want, but at a serious cost. Mm-hmm. So even when something doesn't go your way, there's always that option there where it basically goes, but you know, that thing you were trying to do, how and bad do a, you want it? That's a player controlled mechanic. Um, it It's something that the fate is, is built around the, so can the can the player make that happen? Well, that's what I'm saying. the The whole system is built around the idea of GM and player collaboration. So the mm-hmm. players are always within their rights to basically at least pitch something to the mm-hmm. GM, and the GM might be the arbiter of what that consequence is. Okay, but, but they can say, "Please give me a consequence." Oh, totally. In fact, okay. if you if you ask for um, what would be called a compel, which is basically when stuff goes bad for you and mm-hmm. gets more dramatic for you, usually based on certain aspects about your character, like flaws and things like that. Um, 
when you accept a compel from the GM, basically going, all right, things are going to go south for you, kind of like this. You go, all right, I'm down with that. I agree. I, as the GM, hand you a fate point where you can now spend that later to make other things happen or to give yourself a boost. So you are actually incentivized to make things harder on your character. Which is great. To I make think that's things a more dramatic. Idea. It's super, super interesting. I and can't I wait think, until you run this game. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, and um, I, I, I think that sort of idea could yeah. be applied to D&D in a lot of ways where it's like, you know, the just the simple idea of success at a cost going right. instead of dead nice. ends. How do I how can we make that, this failure into something interesting? That's very GM centric in D&D currently. Right. Right now, it's basically mm-hmm. a house rule that mm-hmm. a, a dungeon master can choose to do. And as a player, you basically only have the power to say, hey, could I succeed at a cost in this case? Right. Um and let a GM might just say, well, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Like in, in it's, fate, you are actually within your rights to suggest to the GM a compel for yourself. You can like even if, suggest yeah, compels good. against enemies like GM controlled enemies or suggest compels for other players, but you have to spend a fate point to do those. But you can right. compel, you can request a compel for yourself for free, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, so I, I think having like resources that you can choose to spend or not spend mm. um, in the moment is helpful. This is, uh, I think, a big reason why a lot of the channels that talk about like D&D optimization tend to say that spellcasters are at the very least more fun, if not just mechanically stronger. Um, because essentially what spells do is give you these kinds of counterplay options, right? Um, there's more stuff you can do. There's more stuff you can do. So everybody says that the, the monk is the worst class. Um, some people still say Rangers, the worst class, but I think that like almost couldn't be further for the truth. Um, monk, I think there's at least the, the argument that everything cool you want to do is a key point. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, the 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 worst class in fifth edition is the barbarian. Mm-hmm. I think the barbarian, like, yeah, you're you're strong. Yeah, you can you can do your job well. Fair enough. But it's not particularly interesting gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, your ability to rage is the central focus of your character, and you just say you do it right. So the skill expression there is is lacking because why would you enter a rage normally? Like in real life, what what would cause Andrew to go into a rage? Oh, man. Like just, something bad happens, right? Like you wouldn't yeah. just just say, oh, I would like to rage, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, something something bad would have to be going on. Something threatening, probably, um, that you feel like you right. could you could intervene on. And so. But but in fifth edition, we run up, we say, I rage. Now, uh, I, I, I will, I'll throw in here that I think, honestly, if, if someone's playing their barbarian that way, at least from an RP perspective, I would straight up tell them, and, and I, I typically hesitate to, 
to say this about anyone playing any character, but if you play your barbarian that way, you're playing them wrong. Like if like what you were saying, like what would make Andrew go into a rage? Like that's what you <laughs> it's barbarians doing that. <laughs> that's that's what you need to be thinking when you're playing that character. And don't so, just say I go into a rage. Think about those moments and and play it out. Role play that rage. And if something isn't going on that would make you go into a rage, don't rage. So now I'm going to say something that's really going to piss off everybody. Sure. Which, which is I'm going to take the counter position, which is that you don't have to role play to play this game. I, I'm going to disconnect right now. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, like, like I hate, I would, I definitely prefer a player who role plays over one who doesn't 100%. But when you think about where D and D came from D and D specifically, Right what it originates from it is it is for it is for tactical players and it is for role players and it does both and players lean on one place or another i know people that love D so much and they still don't know how to do an attack right it drives me insane right but i'm not gonna say that they're playing the game wrong right um and there's other people that have never role played have never never done a voice you know, not, none of these things. And, and they just wanna, they, but they know the book inside and out. They know all the buttons. Right. So ideally, we get players that can do both, right? That know their yeah. that know their crap and are playing a character. That's that's the ideal. But what I want to talk about is how mechanically can we create skill expression that can enhance the experience for the role player. And give the tactician a way to express gameplay alone. Mm. So just one idea off the top of my head. Right now, Rage um, is really good defensively, but offensively, it's not super powerful. Right. Right. So I think one thing a barbarian could use is in mechanically, it's like instead of saying, okay, I have a bonus action and a limited amount of rages I can do. Let's get rid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in, instead, rage needs to be like a reaction or even mm-hmm. an automatic thing. And what you need is a trigger. Something mm-hmm. has got to happen for for you to to be able to enter a rage. But then when you enter that rage, uh, the table needs to freak out a little bit. Right. They need mm-hmm. to be like, oh, crap, he raged. Oh, my God. Right. Um, you know, what like, I- it, it's like a paladin smite when the paladin gets that crit. Everyone's like, here comes the smite, baby. And we know yeah. that something's about to take like 70 damage, right? Yeah. And and so like when the barbarian rages, it's like, cool, we have a front line. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think so, so so some of the triggers might be something like you are reduced to half hit points, or an ally of yours takes a certain amount of damage, or um it could be egregious acts by the villain, you know, could maybe even one of the class features might be gaining more triggers for your rage, right? Mm. Can there be stacking rage where multiple things happen and your character can react to those things? Mm. Uh, and, and like kind of like the Hulk can increase his rage level, right? Is that a thing we can do? Can we say a barbarian given time 
in a in a uh, combat can be extremely dangerous right mm-hmm. um right now playing a barbarian is not just about the rage problems it's also about i can't get around the stand map f- fast enough mm-hmm. right and it's like yeah we give you some increased movement speed but it's like yeah but this guy can teleport 30 feet as a bonus action yeah what what am i supposed to do against that right you know where where does the skill expression there come in what decision can i make as a player can it even be a risky thing that we can do to make this thematic and engaging now i i i'll throw in kind of a i guess a caveat here that i think at least in a game this big there frankly there are just going to be some situations where being a barbarian up against monster X is just freaking bad. And if this dude can teleport 30 feet, you might just be boned because you are not the right tool for this job. That's why you want a diverse party, right? Right. Sure. We don't want one class to be able to do uh everything but we don't want someone sitting there going i feel like i can't do anything sure uh, right and, I, that, and that is a complaint i've heard so many times during combat at D. i feel like i can't do anything i feel like everything i pick isn't working mm. right now part of that is just people being babies frankly oh yeah but, but it, i think a lot of that frustration comes from the fact that you didn't really do anything wrong right like what when you fail the saving throw like what did you do wrong how did you misplay that? You showed up. That's the only misplay, right? Mm. You know, did you make a a, uh, a a direct decision to stand in the fire because you needed something else? Well, did, it, did you know but, that the the fire weapon was coming and you decided to distract the dragon as opposed to grab cover? Because right now you don't even have time to get cover, right? So if he breathes fire, it, it's just there. <laughs> right right and now we we're gonna roll the die to to simulate and fair enough that's very important if we change it too much it's also no longer dnd so we right. also have to keep that in mind um but can we do a little bit better so well i i think i think the answer to that question is just straight up yeah you know we we could always do better i mean quite frankly i think we could probably do just about everything in fifth edition better you know Right, but that's not the topic. The topic is how do we increase skill expression? I think step one, I think, is is honestly looking at like just straight up what the barbarian is and what the what the the maybe the necessity of rage as a mechanic in general. Like it's always felt weird to me that in order for a barbarian who in my mind could be like so many different things like they're universally powered regardless of who who they are where they come from all barbarians fuel all their stuff by being some degree of pissed off (laughs) which i'm like that right why does the spirit guardian whatever it's called the ancestral totem whatever uh why is that guy getting pissed the he looks really serene actually right, right? 
So can rage sometimes be our stand in or can some subclasses say, okay, you don't enter a rage. Instead, you enter a trance, right? You enter a vision, you. And so the mechanic becomes barbarians when, when triggered a certain way can enter a a mode of state of being that makes them more powerful than normal. Yeah. I, I think you treat it like uh, maybe treat it like stances. Like you could, you know, maybe but it has to be something you can't just control right away. Right. Sure. I, I like the idea of, of triggers where maybe, um, you know, maybe it could even be like a multi-stage kind of trigger thing where, you know, you're, you're trying to, if you get three of these kind of triggers before three of these, this one goes, or this one goes where, you know, you're not quite sure which, uh, which I guess rage type is going to tip. Like maybe there are different lanes you could go down depending on the circumstances you're in. And also I like the idea of, uh, once you are in, I will just say the, whatever rage state you're in. I like the idea of there being um, multiple degrees of rage. Like, like you imagine, like uh, at the very bottom, you might have like just simmering, where he's just like a little bit ticked, and he's getting more and more and more and you're hitting these divisions going up this scale and at each stage you're getting benefits and you're getting drawbacks because i i like the idea that like the whole thing with rage is that there it's a little bit scary because there's a part of it that you can't really control or you're giving up some of that restraint in order for you to get certain benefits right kind of you know you sure you look at like the hulk like when he snaps it's like you don't want to get in his way but everything's not hunky-dory for the hulk either like they're him raging out or hulking out Mm -hmm. causes him some problems too so he has to yeah. try to, you know, find that balance. At least when the Hulk is interesting and he can't control himself, right? Like, sure. I don't like smart Hulk very much. <laughs> right. He's it, just, kind of, he's just, he's just a big, nice dude, which it's, yeah, it's kind know, of fine. It's yeah. It's just not very interesting. Um, having said but, that, I am looking forward to she Hulk because, um, I like the David E. Kelly style show and that's what they're basically promising. It's Marvel's, uh, Ally McBeal. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay. So, so I like that too. I like that having the stages of anger and that that comes at some sort of cost, right? That's, that's really cool. Like you can have power, but maybe there's risk involved. Like maybe there is like a saving throw in this case that you voluntarily enter in exchange for power. Um, or at where the higher your, your trance or, or rage or whatever it is, maybe the harder that DC becomes. And then when you fail, you will just attack the nearest thing. What, what if the, and, and I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how this uh, would boil down, like when polished and everything, but what if instead of rage, it was taken a step back into just intent, uh, 
varying degrees of emotional intensity. Like, what if it isn't necessarily anger slash rage? What if it well, was I think like we said that, right? We 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 kind of discussed that that the, it doesn't have to be those things. Well, okay, I I was more thinking about the things that might come along with it. Um, are you thinking like love barbarians that are like, or well, or like grief and sadness, or mm. you know things like that, where you're not necessarily angry about the stuff. It's just you're you're feeling emotional intensity is like think about it like schools of magic like maybe you are a rage barbarian but maybe you're not maybe like rage would be a school you could follow but there are Mm. other paths you could follow too and they would have their own different ability sets that they could play with that lean into (laughs) those thematic factors Joy barians, sad barians. Sad barians, like uh, you could have a cry me a river ability where if you're if you're (laughs) cranked up enough, yeah, you actually (laughs) flood the whole dang place with your tears. That's so stupid. I really like it. Um, Right? So I I think this is a good idea actually, and I would I would rope it into like the subclass aspect. It's yeah. like the subclass would be like instead of your normal rage, you enter a deep despair and you get something. Right? Yeah. Because the, the idea is like nobody taught you raging, right? Nobody right. taught you any well, of these things. It's just your character is very in they're very much in connection to their world, right? To to their emotions, to their their primal instinct and that can that can, that could manifest in different ways yeah i don't know exactly no, I, how to do it but mechanically i like this idea that the barbarian is maybe not super good and then they rage and they become like at least temporarily like overpowered right mm. it's like like a paladin doesn't hit hard but then when they smite they do right yeah and all of a sudden they're they're a big threat um I, I, I like for, the I like the idea. Like, what do you think about rage becoming? All, I mean, I guess key points are kind of like this becoming a sort of currency. Where well, that's what it kind of is right now. Like, you have X amount of of rages that you can spend. But I wanted to, I did want to transition to another class. I didn't want the, oh, the whole thing sure. to just be barbarians. Okay. But like the monk is a good example where they have key points. And I think part of the, the design here is when you, okay, we're, we're basing this off of, you know, popular media where people use spiritual energy instead of magic mm-hmm. in order to, uh, you know, the natural energy of their bodies to do the cool thing. Right. And so the, this idea of using key is not a bad idea, the problem mm-hmm. is it, right now that I, I think a lot of people feel that you, when you spend key, you basically become a baseline character, right? And um, when you don't, you kind of feel just weaker than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so spending so, key just brings you just brings you up to snuff instead of making you cooler than regular correct and there's Uh, and there's still a lot of things that can like just not work right they can fail so 
you spend a key point, you do flurry of blows at low levels. The flurry is doing, you know, a D4 mm-hmm. because that's the upgrade from the one damage you typically do. Right. Um, and so then you miss like one or all of them. Right. So now you're, 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 you're just out all of that. Right. And that can be frustrating from a gameplay perspective. When you spent, when a, when a monk spends a key point, it should be, uh, probably a little more rare and it should be very powerful in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the way I would probably approach it. Like when it, when a monk does flurry of blows, I want them to become like a machine gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I want there to be some setup to get into that position. Uh, I also want them to use key for like the most epic, wonderful dodge abilities, you know, and defense abilities that, that they could. Um, one main mechanic I was thinking about in terms of the game in general is the ready to action. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now the ready to action is when, when a lot of times players say, I want to hold my action. What they mean is I want to, use the ready action yeah okay which is i want to use my action when a thing happens yeah right you're setting up a trigger you set up a a trigger i think i would be more interested in a um and this is maybe somewhat less elegant but it's i think more engaging uh which is this idea that classes have special ready actions so like when you ready an action and something and this happens, um, then do this cool thing, right? Instead of just, I want to hold my attack. If he attacks me, I attack him, right? I mean, that's more or less what a, what a reaction is, right? It's like a, it's, it, you know, you're not saying you're holding the action. In fact, you still get to do your regular action and you get access to these reactions, which you can do completely separately just once per per go around right so let, let me give you a, an example to to kind of illustrate it um so like let's say you're a, a polearm expert right yeah what what were polearms classically used for why did why did why were they invented defending against horses yeah horses right yeah so Caval- mechanically cavalry. yeah they're anti-cavalry weapons right, right. they're the original anti-aircraft <laughs> weapon. i mean hell claymores um, were were that too for that matter yeah and mowing down lines right mm-hmm. um so okay instead of having just a reaction you can use you know i think this was something they they kind of had maybe in third edition where you could kind of set against a charge yeah. to to say okay my action is i hold still mm-hmm. right and i wait for this guy to charge me and if he charges me then I get this extra benefit, right? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because by essentially spending your action and your reaction together, you get cool thing. Mm. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a start. It's a half baked start of an idea, but you know, Oh, sure. It's that's like, that's how this that's what stuff we're here to do. That's how this stuff. That's how this whole starts. show goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so those are just a couple of ideas to to do some counterplay. When I fight the ogre, getting back to the ogre, you know, what do you expect the ogre to do? Like, what what should an ogre feel like? Oh, he's are are is this rhetorical? Or are you asking? No, I'm asking you. I'm asking. Okay, you. he should he should be able to well anything that leverages his size 
like when you're up against an ogre and you're a normal dude, if you put yourself RP wise in that position, the like the first image that would pop into most people's minds is you're standing there and what do you do? Your head does that slow look up and it Mm -hmm. just keeps going as you go, crap, this thing is friggin huge and he's probably going to beat the tar out of me. And yep. and then he proceeds to beat said tar out of you by picking you up, throwing you around, slamming you around, maybe probably biting you. You know, yep. he's got he's got those nasty big fangs. So, you know, he's going to probably snap on somebody. And right. other than that, he'd probably bear hug you, try to do crushes, throws things, you, you know, act like a giant friggin wrestler. That's for you, Leroy. Um, so they they have uh, in their description one of their personality traits essentially is gruesome gluttons, right? Yeah, and they'll say ogres eat almost anything, but they especially enjoy the taste of dwarves, halflings, and elves, right? Um, and so then we go, oh, cool. So he like likes to eat people. Then we look at the stat block: no bite attack. So That's you weird. create you create a bite attack and give it a little bit of a bonus to hit. If it's against any of those kind of favored groups, because he, you know, he's going after his favorite meal. He's probably, you know, getting a little extra internal boost out of that. You know, he's getting an adrenaline rush like, oh, we're having elf tonight, you know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Another way to approach it might be. um, okay, so they typically have like a big club, right? So usually, yeah. So let's say you're you're you engage at sort of mid range with the ogre. So maybe then the book says if they're 10 feet away, you swing your club. Right. Mm. Um, if they get within five feet, you do the the claw bite combo. Right. And so when the player figures that out, either during the fight or because they've fought an ogre before, they can at, at the very least make the the decision of how many feet away they want to be from it, right? Which mm. kinds of attacks do, do they want to uh, try to deal with? Um, monsters could also do a sort of progression. And some monsters do this. Uh, for instance, anything that has like the uh, devour or swallow ability, right? Um, mm-hmm. First, they have to hit you. And then your grapple restrained. And then basically on the next turn, they have to roll to hit you again somehow. And... Uh, then you get swallowed, right? Mm-hmm. So I like this idea because if you don't get swallowed right away, then your your party members know that this has happened to you and they need to intervene right now. And they should probably use the help action. By the way, more classes need a cool thing that when you use the help action, this happens. Yeah. Right. That would be really helpful in making a help action worth a damn. Right. Yeah. And so anyway so then the counterplay becomes what do my party members do the initial uh claw and grab attack of the ogre is not super bad but if he picks you up and then can bite you that's real bad so we know that if he grabs you know tim's mage we need to intervene right now Mm. or on the next turn we know he's going to take enough damage to probably knock him out so 
again, we get to react in a way that's strategic, not just roll the die and hope for the best. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, a couple of monsters I do want to uh, say I really like a lot. My very favorite monster in all of the books. The Hydra. Uh, well, it's one I use a lot, but it's actually not my favorite. Uh, uh, well, this one I discovered somewhat recently. Um, my, my right now, my very favorite uh, monster is the Cobalt Inventor. Oh, nice. The Cobalt Ad- Inventor is like a beholder with more um, interactive uh, play and counterplay. Nice. Okay? So the I'm by the way, I really like beholders a lot because of their randomization, but beholders still have a problem in that the way to fight a beholder is to basically not stand in front of it and hope that you make your save, right? Like beholders are terrifying because they basically can just end your life (laughs) Mm. and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. Unless they just happen not to roll the disintegrate, right? Or whatever. Um, well, there's always like clever stuff you can do with magic too. Like if you hit it with, you know, anti-magic zones or, you know, there, there's always like super clever stuff you can, I mean, it it usually, I mean, strategically there is often counterplay, but what happens when you're playing sort of classic D and D you open up the vault, the vault shuts behind you. And then he floats down from the rafters right yeah and he says his little speech and then then roll initiative okay so you didn't get the jump on it so now you're dead because right now the the main strategy i would say of fifth edition is um stealth and perception right get in quietly see your enemy first get the surprise round Mm. you can really kind of just boil it all down to that um which is fun sometimes um but not every like by design, a lot of the characters in the book don't do that well. Yeah. Right. So that can be frustrating for like a rogue and a ranger who are trying to be tactical and the paladin who's just bored. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He wants to get, he wants to get in there. Anyway, I want to go to the cobalt inventor really quick. He is super cool. And he, by the way, he was absolutely designed by you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Um, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> he's 100% an Andrew character yes. because this character is wonderfully stupid. Okay. Um, Thanks. he is the, the, the goblin campaign as one person. Okay? Oh, yes. So says so a cobalt inventor builds improvised weapons to gain an advantage in combat. These weapons last for only one or two attacks before they break and typically work only for the inventor but they might be surprisingly effective in the meantime. The weapons don't have to be lethal. Often one serves its purpose. If it distracts, scares, or confuses a creature long enough for the inventor to kill that foe. So here's where the fun comes in. They have a bunch of stats. Nobody cares. Okay. And the action, the action list, you get to roll a D8. And now we know we're in for some fun. Okay. Mm. So he's an inventor. Keep that in mind. His first inventor is acid. He hurls a flask of acid. He mm-hmm. tries to hit you with the acid. That's it. Okay. Second one, he has alchemist fire. Kind of similar. And he creates an area. You can decide to be in the area or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three, basket of centipedes. Yee. Now we're having some fun. 
now now we're into it. Okay. I have used these guys on low-level players, and it is so fun, okay, to have them run around and have to deal with all that stupid garbage that the cobalt inventor is throwing at them. The fourth one is green slime pot. And then there's like a whole paragraph that describes all the crazy stuff the slime's doing. Nice. Five, rot grub pot. So his inventions are often animal I found plus container. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, number six is the best one, uh, which is scorpion on a stick. Oh, heck yeah. It makes a melee attack with a scorpion tied to the end of a five foot long pole. Uh, piercing damage. The target must make a DC. Nine. I love how it's a DC nine. It's something like really terrible. A DC nine con safe throw. But takes you four could damage. fail it. But you could fail it. Right. I would like it more if it was like a DC five, but it was actually like full on paralysis, right? Oh yeah. Now, like if Ex if you could just like get wrecked by this thing. Except we were just talking earlier about how it's frustrating when you just get CC'd and but here's just the shut other down. thing: the 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 Cobalt Inventor has thirteen hit points, which means that the natural strategy to deal with him is shoot him <laughs> sure you don't get close the 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 cost is if he actually manages to get an inventor an, an inventor an invention off then something interesting happens right and for the most part most of these are going to like result in just hilarity mm -hmm. but the stuff like the rot grubs they actually will wreck your crap if you're not careful mm -hmm. right the rot grubs are like very scary uh, number seven's fantastic skunk in a cage. <laughs> yeah. And number eight, probably the most effective wasp nest in a bag. Oh, for sure. Right. So this it guy works is really fantastic. well in real life. By the way, the illustration you. here has most of these inventions shown. And then on his wristband, his, his bracer is a, is a, uh, a, a tavern goblet, right? It's nice. a, a mug basically. And then there's a teacup around his wrist. That he's like hollowed out the bottom of, and there's literally still a tea bag hanging from it. <laughs> right. And this guy, the expression on his face is incredibly serious. Right. Like this guy really takes himself super seriously. I, I just love him so much. <laughs> they, they, they sound freaking great. Um, it, honestly, a, a lot of it. To me, it sound it's giving me like beholder vibes. Yes. Except except it's not a beam. It it's still a randomly chosen thing. It's just it has like a lingering effect and it's not this massively debilitating spell. It's like yes. here's more of a problem to deal with. Right. This is like this is the the nuisance beholder. Right. <laughs> um, um, but if if circumstances go south, it actually can be kind of a problem. Oh, sure. Um, and that's even funnier. Right. So it's uh, I just I like that it expresses both like what the character is supposed to do as well as it's like personality. Yeah, right? it, that's that's it true. Lends it lends itself well. to the role play aspect through its mechanics. Right. Right. So when we're frustrated that players aren't using uh, role play 
um, especially in combat. It's because, frankly, a lot of the time it's not asking for it. Right. And mechanically, Mm -hmm. what I really hope to see in the future, both from monsters and the player classes, while not getting too far away from D&D, is that there is this built in expression of gameplay. Mm-hmm. People that have the barbarian personality should love to play barbarians. People that want to feel like Goku should pick monk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people that want to feel smarter than everyone else at the table should pick wizard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a, a very distinct uh, gameplay model for each class. So mm-hmm. while fourth edition had a lot of interesting abilities, the problem was that most of the classes felt the same. No matter what class you were doing, you had the same setup. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and that was a that was a big weakness. So yeah, fifth I mean, edition gets away from that by kind of getting back to D and D roots, but then it has some classes that I think are just far more engaging than others. So, yeah. Well, and I I think that with with certain monsters too. I think you run into the same sort of thing. Like there, there definitely are examples like the ogre where it's like, Oh, come on. Like you, you could have totally given this guy a lot more, but Mm -hmm. I think, I think there are probably at least a fair number of monsters in the monster manual that are, that are maybe just not that interesting that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at it, it's like, okay, what, what would you expect this freaking thing to have? Like sometimes you could probably add stuff to it. And frankly, a, a lot of people probably have, but like, like when I look at a beholder, it's like, okay, you know, he's, he is what he is because they've always just kind of been that way. And they, they give them plenty of flavor stuff that you can, you can RP them in all these different ways. And if, uh, you know, like being in a beholder lair, it's like being in a freaking beehive where he can just do all kinds of like crazy lair actions and stuff. But in general, yeah. like facing one down, he's a big floating ball with eyeballs that shoots a random kind of magic at you. Like, yeah, that's his shtick. He's a he's a he's a roulette turret. Right. Pretty <laughs> much. And, um, you know, I and I think. I think one of my issues with like I'm I'm trying to to look at D&D even from a and and this might be the most heretical thing ever but um this has uh, been a heresy episode so you know Yeah, I guess uh you know <laughs> like like even looking at how combat fundamentally works in general like the action economy and like mm-hmm. having attack move bonus action or mm-hmm. like um just even just the round by round by round by round combat like i'm like shorten it make stuff happen fast like mm-hmm. one of the reasons people hate getting crowd controlled is because combat takes too long it takes so freaking long for most people it takes long and and it's boring usually if you're sitting there and even if you're trying to like be interested in what's going on with everyone else if you feel like you're taken out of the action that's inherently less fun 
And I mean, that's especially when you're online and it's so easy to just like all tab. Right. And and go be distracted for a while. That's, you know, it's not good. That's one. That's why I'm so excited about fate, because one of the things that they mention is like, it's not about the, you know, when you're in the fight, guy takes a sword slash. Oh, he takes another sword slash. Oh, and he t- gets stabbed once. And he just, and it's just, he takes a bit more damage and a bit more damage and a bit more damage. And when you watch a movie or you read a book about a hero who gets in a fight, they never, ever, ever, ever spell out each individual little blow that gets taken. What matters is the state that the fight leaves them in. You could mm-hmm. say the guy took freaking 15 blows to the head and the last one was with a baseball bat and it gave him a concussion. The only thing that matters is that concussion and the mm-hmm. state that it leaves that hero in and the dramatic questions that poses. It's mm-hmm. not about, oh, I dealt him eight damage and four damage. And now I got flanking so I could deal him 16 damage from over here. Well, that's, like the, This is kind of what I'm saying, right? Like, and I, and I don't want to talk about how like, oh, D and D sucks, right? You know, sure, that's not what sure. I'm saying. But yeah, I do want to say if we're going to change editions and we're going to start looking at some innovations, um, First of all, here's here's an, another thing people are going to get mad at. Uh, I'm, uh, no more bonus action. It's gone. <laughs> we're, 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 we're just we're taking it right out of the game. OK, it it slows down everything. Uh, it's annoying. If you don't have one, it sucks. Oh, man. See, you're, uh, you're going to make me want to do want to just do the fate episode right now. Like in in fate, you, you get you, you get to do one thing on your turn, bro. Like. It, that's it what do you do what do you do what's your thing you have i don't even want to like move an attack unless the maneuver you're using is move attack right in in fate (laughs) moves are free like if everything's just broken up into zones if you're generally if like one zone is basically the amount of space where you could kind of step around maybe a couple steps and get right. close enough to punch someone well, in the all, face. But the thing about fate too, is it's not made for grid combat, right? It, no. that's, it's not meant to be a grid game. Right. Right. So we have to go into, to D and D assuming that it's still a war game. Okay. Mm. Um, so I guess what it really boils down to is I want skill expression and counterplay to enhance the war game aspect in a way that adds character to, uh, to mechanics, right? Okay. Uh, my my resolution here is not abandon D and right? I mean, why not, right? If you want to play something else, that's fine. But then we sure. don't need to have the discussion. Yeah, that's okay. True. But is there something from fate we could borrow? Okay, that's interesting, right? right? So, like in a way, I, I sort of did it with the um, fortune. A cleric subclass I wrote for you, mm. and where where natural when natural ones occur, you got like basically um, a bonus dice you could give people. Yeah, right. So that was a simple way of of kind of approaching it. But even in that case, it wasn't about accepting the situation and then making a decision. It was, oh, you happen to roll badly, so here's some luck. Right, right. So it sounds like uh, that mechanic with the with the compels is 
is a little bit more of what I would hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and you know we had that episode where I talked about loving your wants, right? Yep. When when we roll that one, I want the ability to get out of it or to um, accept it and and get something for accepting it, right? So that that way we can have our big heroic moment where it looks like we're down and out and the bad guy has an advantage. And then all of a sudden we do our, a cool move. Right. And, mm. uh, and you know, you, you see that in, in books and movies all the time. Yeah. So, um, and then tactically it's interesting. It's like, Oh, I'm going to risk going prone this round because, um, I'm down half my hit points and I'm prone. So I can use this ability which allows me to leap to my feet and hit really hard. Mm. Right. So here's something. So both the role player and the tactician or the rare person, not rare, but the person who is, is both has a more satisfying experience. Mm. I'm not even sure it's like the pace of D and D that's necessarily the problem. I think it is just the hit trading without characterization. Yep. And I, you know, I, uh, it's it's just a tricky thing. I I think that there well, design, are design is hard, right? <laughs> yes, yes, design is very hard. And I mean, quite frankly, my my hopes for for that idea really getting nailed in five point five or six, you know, whatever it winds up being, whatever they want to sell us. Um, you know, I'm frankly, I'm not holding my breath. There, hmm. you know, D and D has been what it's been. I think in a lot of ways because there are you're just grumpy, my dude. I, you know, maybe <laughs> I am. I, I just D and D is D and D, and D and D is gonna want to be D and D. And well, yeah, it has it definitely has an identity, and we don't want to get too far away from that. Right. Well, at least the game doesn't. Right. But and if you do want to get away from that, then yeah, there's other systems. Right. Right. And I, I just think that. D and D as a system, you know, just kind of has some inherent flaws and things that, um, that a lot of old school folks would say, if you get rid of this, it ain't D and D anymore. And they might well be right, but it, you know, it's they're sacred cows, right? You know, and sometimes just because something's always been there or just because something's always been done a certain way doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And I, I, I'm afraid that what happened with fourth edition will, will stop designers from trying to think outside the box in terms of really trying to take the game to an excellent new level when if if the answer to doing that requires them changing some things that have up until now been like you know a, a fundamental or at least long standing part of D&D because they they're scared that if they make that change even if it's a cool one then that, they'll get fourth edition backlash where yeah. it's like this you this is not D&D anymore yeah, I, that's definitely one of the design challenges that they need to to um, to do. So, like, yeah. you know, we had a whole episode of what is the identity of of Dungeons and Dragons, right? right. And that was like way early on in the life yeah. of the show. 
and we talked about like, you know, the D20, right? That's that's paramount. We're not going to suddenly go, okay, now you roll a bunch of D10s. Yeah. Like, no, that's that's not this game. Yeah. Okay. But there are things where we can go and say, you know, fourth edition had a good idea that they didn't land, right? They didn't stick it. Yep. Okay. The barbarian needs to have a cool ability that allows you to always feel like a barbarian, but you don't give that same, I have a cool ability sometimes mechanic to every single class. Right. Right. The, how they fundamentally play needs to be distinct. And that is not contrary to, to Dungeons and Dragons. No, I don't think that is either. I, I think each, you know, it, this, this is going to sound like a tangent, but I promise that it's not. Um, okay. If, if you look at how uh, back in the day when Blizzard just came out with Overwatch, they'd show the lineup of all their original characters all side by side. And one of the things that they that their designers uh, focused very heavily on is the silhouette of the characters that at a glance, you could look at these characters and tell who they are and what their deal is just yeah. off the cuff. And that, yeah, that's like into, a fundamental character design principle, right? Having, having very well-defined character identity. And I think that sort of thing does need to be applied to these classes in in that same sort of way except it's mechanical not visual but you want to create a unique engaging mechanical silhouette for your class where you go man like if i didn't see the title for this class and someone just handed me these mechanics and said play this character and use these mechanics and tell us what kind of i guess trope you feel like and you sit down and you realize, okay, I'm throwing a lot of punches. I'm, you know, bobbing and weaving a lot. I get to, you know, do little energy bursts and stuff. Okay. It's feeling kind of Dragon Ball Z ish, you know, and you know, you would want the, you know, Joe Schmo, who's your tester to go. I felt like I was like a monk, you know, mm -hmm. if, if they, if they're screwing around with it and you know your design was for a monk but they go oh i felt like like a boxer it's like eh, maybe you missed the mark a little bit you know you need to make some adjustments so that your theme really shines so you know i i agree you know that that is going to come with testing i think you know we could almost combine what we were talking about with with the monk with this idea of like the active reaction, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you, when you ready that action, like I almost think that the class that is the best at that idea is probably the monk because part of your fantasy is the monk almost never attacks first, right? The, the, the monk, it's all uh, counters. He, he, yeah, dodge, counter, parry, counter, whatever it is. You do a thing, you show aggression. I punish you for your aggression. That's right. I think that that's good. Like when you're a monk, you want to feel like you can't be hit like really strong, speedy defenses where you're hard to connect with. Um, that needs to be part of the identity right now. They really don't have that except mm -hmm. for they can spend a key point to use the dodge action. 
right? right? Which is is simple design and it works in that way, but it's also I don't know. I think it could yeah. be better. Yeah. So. But then again, you also like in in a game of where fighting is such a big deal, like making a character whose whole shtick is you can't hit me is also not very interesting, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not enough, but, like, it can be a thing where when you play Monk, you're very difficult to hit, but when you are hit, it hurts because your health point right. pool sucks. Right. You know, whatever. That's that's kind of the balancing factor, whereas Barbarian's almost the polar opposite. Like, you can hit him all day. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, like, the knight wants to feel kind of somewhere in the middle where they're able to sort of ignore a lot of glancing blows um they can they can take some punishment uh they have they have reasonable defenses but they aren't this endless tank of right um, just you know impaled with a hundred arrows and still coming at you sure right that that doesn't feel right like you when you're a fighter you want to feel like you've tactically made positive decisions and i think that's part of the reason why like the most popular fighter subclass seems to be Battlemaster because mm-hmm. I think Battlemaster is, is kind of the gold standard in subclasses, mm. you know, in terms of how can I make a class that's, that's not casting spells, but still has kind of that feel. I have a limited pool of abilities I can use, you know, mechanically it's not even that different from key points, but it's, but fighters seem to enjoy it far more because they're getting more power out of that die like even if they make the save against your trip or whatever they still took it like an extra d8 of damage yeah right so it's like you didn't get nothing you know yeah i'm a fighter i hit hard sometimes it hit harder yeah champions a wonderful choice too because sometimes players don't want to look at a bunch of abilities they like passives yeah they want to just i want to be a stat stick great champion is a wonderful stat stick Mm. um i want to be a battle master but i would just like to actually have spells. Okay, great. Eldritch Knight, which yeah. is also, you know, widely enjoyed. Um, same thing with uh, the, the, the caster uh, rogue, the trickster, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Widely regarded as the, the superior rogue subclass. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. this, this horse is dead and it is beaten. Um I get what you're saying so, though and and it it is uh it is worthwhile to to consider and think about like you know just in general whenever you're playing anything look at the abilities and things that are look at the ways that are available to you to play whatever it is you're playing and ask yourself like do I really feel like I am empowered to embody this archetype or this creature or whatever it might yeah. be by the tool set I'm being given. And, and if you're not think about what aspect of that idea you wish was there and think about whether there's a way to maybe homebrew a way to do it, you know? And, mm-hmm. and if, if you're a player for the love of God, talk to your GM before you do stuff like that, because <laughs> not talking to your GM about that kind of stuff is rude. And it's not the secret ingredient, so don't do that. But don't do that. That having been said, you know, get creative. And and if you come up with something that works out real well, throw it out to the community. 
put it out there and let other people get their mitts on it because who knows maybe the designers working on the next D&D see it and go oh dang that's a freaking terrific idea you know and maybe that maybe your idea somehow manages to be the thing that moves everything in the direction that it ought to go who knows you know who knows at the very least you'll have some fun mhm and, and and that's why we're here right all right we've been talking a good long while my dude let's yeah. let's bring it home all right um well if anybody wants to uh if you like the show or well i suppose if you didn't like the show why are you still here but um thanks for hanging out with us and if you'd like to support the show and what we're doing here and what we're putting out into the universe Head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and, you know, throw us a buck or two. We would greatly appreciate it. Come join us over on our discord and chat with all the good folks that we have over there. And, you know, just be part of our happy little family. We'd love to have you. Um, and all that rigmarole out of the way. Think about the stuff we talked about tonight. That's I I gave my parting thoughts like five freaking minutes ago, so I'm not doing it again. So <laughs> we love you guys. Get out of here. Thanks, Stop listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye-bye.